Trending news right now. Dr. Meji Makoba, social commentator, discusses what's happened in social media in the last uh, 24 hours with us. Good morning, Dr. Makoba. How are you today? Good morning, Asanda. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much. Uh, let's go straight to it. Let's start uh, a hashtag... Charlene Sweaty uh, Richards, a uh, rather legendary e-goalie actress, passing away in her sleep while shooting a new series. Sad news this is. I mean, uh, this American, I mean, South African legend won the hearts of millions of us, uh, myself included, with her TV and movie roles. And uh, she's gone now. Yeah, it's a great loss to the, uh, to the art and the film industry because she exemplifies somebody who was versatile, somebody who can operate in different cultural spaces. And I think uh, she spoke the languages of many people in South Africa, and it's really a great loss to the South African film industry. And and she also, um, as, a, as a colored woman, she also represented her community very well and it's a great loss to for many South Africans. Absolutely a great loss and then she wasn't just on TV as, as well as uh, movies but also uh, on uh, some various plays so she, she was an all-rounded woman. Yeah it was, she was somebody who was very versatile and as I say she spoke the languages of many people and it's quite rare for somebody to be such versatile and uh, for sure, her, her loss will leave a void in many people's lives because of the kind of context that she operated in. It wasn't just somebody who stayed in one TV show. She was a legend. and She was somebody with a serious cultural impact. And I think the industry is going to really feel her loss. What do you think are the ways then that maybe the art fraternity should be celebrating her life? Uh, details surrounding her death are still unknown. Uh, I'm sure as the time goes, we'll find out what uh, the actual reason for her death is. But but to focus on her life, uh, how should uh, the art fraternity celebrate her? I think uh, celebrating her, her life should mean to look after the plight of many artists in South Africa because you understand that uh, such is space is quite very difficult for many people to operate. Uh, you know that many people are struggling with having stable incomes. And I think uh, the Department of Arts and Culture should intervene and stabilize the industry to ensure that many people who operate in such spaces are really getting value for their for their money because we would get that you would understand that many that that industry is quite very exploitative and I think uh, making sure that the labor relations in the sector are quite favorable to many artists. That would be actually one of the ways to celebrate her legacy. Yeah. Let's uh, talk now, hashtag Duduzane and uh, National Prosecuting Authority boss Shamila Batohi. So uh, Batohi is asking why Jacob Zuma's son has not been charged with corruption. And this is in relation to a case in 2014 where uh, Duduzane, well, Batohi demanded to know why uh, he was not prosecuted for culpable homicide after he slammed into a taxi with his Porsche in uh, in Santon. And this uh, accident killed a woman and injured three others. And it was back in 2014. I think the uh, the public's kind of overplaying what Batoy has said because I think the designer did have his day in court and he was acquitted of all those charges. And now 
Bato is kind of ex, ex, asking explanations from Chaoga because she, I think she feels like there were unnecessary delays with regard to the persecution because uh, the persecution happened after Afriforum made noise about this case. And if it wasn't for Afriforum, I don't think there would have been, uh, uh, the Tuzan would have had his day in court. And I think that she's just asking accountability why is so much delays in threat cases in Houghton. And I think, I, I don't think she she's really wanting uh, Dudizani to have another day in court because if that were the case, she could have just gone through the the Supreme Court of Law and that would have been the, the much more legitimate way to deal with it. But right now, I think the public is overplaying this. I don't think Dudizani is going to have any other day in court. It's just uh, how the public is kind of overplaying and overemphasizing this thing. Mm. Also, uh, in question by Batohi to the NPA Gauteng boss Andrew Chauke is uh, former crime intelligence boss Richard Mluli, as well as former Gauteng health MEC Brian Longwa. Yes, and uh, you would remember that uh, this uh, the questions she's asking are kind of touching on people who are close to President Jacob Zuma. And maybe indirectly she's suggesting that maybe the boss might have had some political pressure to take these cases. That's why it's kind of agent now that he needs to give the public and the, the prosecuting authority some explanation why there were delays with with these specific cases. And I think the explanation should give us some context of why there were so delays with these two important figures that were uh, associated with President Jacob Zuma, who has the cloud of corruption hovering over his head. And I mean, a uh, charge of murder is, is quite serious on the case of Mkluli. Why uh, do you think that there hasn't been a decision? I think maybe the prosecuting authority doesn't have many capacity in South Africa because uh, such cases, are, they are struggling with such cases every day. You could see with the cases of since uh, Omuiwa, they've been struggling with the case, and again, on and I think on this part, there were really issues of political pressure because Mudlil was not just an ordinary person; he is an important figure in the South African politics. And charging him and the kind of political connections he had, it's not something very straightforward. I think they needed to tread very carefully, and maybe there was serious political pressure that prevented them not pursuing the, uh, those charges. So, I mean, also, if we look back in 2018, then uh, Chauke was among candidates interviewed for the job for NPA uh, boss, uh, this panel set up by President Cyril Ramaphosa, which then the position went to uh, Batohi. Do you think then that is because of all these uh, hanging issues, so to speak? Yeah, I think so that uh, you cannot give somebody a strong position of responsibility if you can see that there's evidence of undecisiveness on, on serious issues. So maybe if he had handled this specific cases very well, he would have been, uh, he would have gotten the job. But if there are still serious matters pending and there's no clear explanation of why this is the case, maybe that would have been disadvantaged him. And it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what sort of explanation does he give why there were these 
delays and maybe he has some legal reasons why he didn't swiftly deal with this specific cases. All right, let's move on. Talking hashtag G7 summit now. Our president, Cyril Ramaphosa, says that he's going to use this summit to convince global leaders that South Africa is an ideal country uh, where you can invest and do business despite uh, the the shortcomings. Is it ideal? Uh, what I, I don't know if I'd use the word ideal, but I mean, I, I would say we can still do business and invest here despite our shortcomings. But I mean, ideal for me is basically uh, I says that there aren't any shortcomings. But uh, let's talk about this. I mean, obviously, it's going to be quite important how we are positioned to the world now uh, at the G7 summit. I think uh, the invitation is quite strong on South Africa's side. It shows that uh, the, this, this, this big country uh, see, take South Africa very seriously and they see South Africa as a potential partner in the system of global capitalism. But uh, the issue is that at home we are still struggling with basic things such as keeping the lights on and as much as we want to portray ourselves in a positive light to the global community, we need to deal with the basics. And I think it's quite... <laughs> These are just common creatures from the president to say that South Africa is ideal for destination, whereas we're struggling with corruption, we're struggling with uh, keeping electricity on. Those are not necessarily small shortcomings. These are structural problems that uh, since mm. in the past 10 years, South Africa has been struggling with this industry, and which is very key for business and the development of the country. And I think maybe... Uh, for maybe in terms of South Africa being a, de- a democratic society, the invitation is kind of a, a vote of confidence for our democracy. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think we just got off, uh, cut off the line there a little bit. 11 minutes past four, we're discussing our training topics with uh, Dr. Mejima Koba, our social commentator. Let's just read some of your messages then. Uh, to our poll question that we posed earlier, saying that the announcement has been made that Miss South Africa pageant will allow transgender women a chance to also compete in the competition. And we wanted to know from you, uh, what are the other ways that beauty pageants can be progressive? And uh, Anonymous says, uh, no, this is Robert, who says, good morning, team. It is good to have transgender women in the beauty pageants. I'm sure it will contribute to their confidence and has and have more people understand their way of living. All right. Thanks, Robert, there for your message. And then another one says, uh, uh, good morning, Asanda and the team. I think the inclusion of transgender pageants is a good way of progress and is commendable. And they must include stultas. Uh, stulta means uh, those who are overweight or curvy, I don't know what words, you know, everybody has their own terms. But uh, uh, we are tired of seeing slenders. This message continues. Stulas are beautiful as well. And that's from Shorty Signolo in Mafefe in Limpopo. Thank you, Shorty, for your views there. Thanks, everybody. You can still keep them coming. We'll just read them as the show goes on. Uh, Doctor, are you back with us? Then? I think the line just got cut there. Sorry. Yes, I'm back. 
Okay, so we were talking then, and, and you were mentioning that, uh, I mean, this uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa saying that he's going to use the G7 uh, summit to convince South Africa, or, or rather global leaders, that South Africa is an ideal country for investment and business. Uh, while we have our issues, though, in the meantime, and you, you feel that there's so much more going on in the country, uh, that does not really make it just shortcomings. These are structural issues, as you say. Yes, and I, I think I was saying that, uh, well, the invitation is quite good for South Africa because it shows that we're part of this system. But uh, uh, we know that oh, as much as the media is presenting a utopian view of this, we know that in many cases this is also not about investment. This is about the exploitation of our natural resources because one of the things that they want to talk about is about trade and when they come to trade with us, who has the upper hand? And I think this country still holds much upper hand because we always go to them as beggars. We also go to them as uh, as people who would, would trade with them on their own conditions because we don't necessarily want to exert our powers to, to them. And I think from a political and cultural perspective, that's another problem, let alone the type of structural problems that we still have in South Africa. So our president also saying that uh, he sees the G7 summit as an opportunity to discuss the country's recovery plan after the COVID-19 pandemic. Should he be looking at the recovery plan after the uh, pandemic uh, when we are still battling with even just a vaccine rollout and we've got corruption going on as well, which has not yet been dealt with under the health department? Is this what he should be focusing on, on in terms of what's going to happen afterwards and not what's happening right now? I think on his part, he, he's talking about being optimistic. Uh, he's talking about hoping that things will, will turn well and the, the economic recovery plan is yielding positive results. And we know that that's pure rhetoric because you see that uh, part of this stimulus package involves giving people 350 and that's quite sad because many people can't even survive on, on that amount of money. And, I mean, for him, I think it exposes his shortcomings because I don't think South Africa is in in position to, to recover from COVID-19 because, as we see, we're still shedding jobs. And maybe he needed, he needs to give us, maybe the world and to South Africans, explain what sort of strategy does he have in order to provide a long-term solution to unemployment because, unfortunately, unemployment becomes attractive it becomes an attractive thing to global capitalism because it means that capital will have unlimited access to cheap labor. And that's mm-hmm. very sad for many South Africans because it, in a capitalist system, unemployment is not necessarily a crisis. It only means that many people are only going to be more exploited at the expense of the development of capitalism. Okay, so also mentioning, I mean, he hasn't completely ignored what's really happening in terms of reality in the country because he did say that South Africans' outrage at the government is justified uh, given the problems with which the country is uh, grappling with. Yeah, you'd remember that that's how Ramaphosa speaks. Ramaphosa is somebody who is very keen in many spaces. He would acknowledge all the problems, and I think that's one of most his most critical rhetoric skills, that's what we call say confession. He was going to come to you and say that uh, we have these problems, we are dealing with them, 
But when you check the solution, you realize that the, the, the type of concessions that he's making do not match the type of solutions he provides. And I think we need to be critical of his speeches because he's somebody who's rhetorically gifted and she always appears to be somebody who's really accountable. But when you look at his solutions closely, uh, there's nothing that you would think is going to take this South Africa out of this current crisis we're facing. So how do we remain optimistic then, as he says? Let's be optimistic in terms of our progress. And how do we continue with the patience and resilience that he cites are shown by citizens? Or are we now done? We, we just had enough. I think we, we should continue being critical of, of him and his government because, I mean, optimism shouldn't, shouldn't replace our activism because it, if, if we relax and say something, things are going to get well, they are going to relax these people. So the more South Africans are complaining, the more they're complaining, especially about how taxpayers' money has been wasted, the more this country and democracy is going to grow because democracy thrives on political dissent. And I think complaining is quite good. We should continue complaining and to see this government punching above weight.